a few years ago, um, back, in, uh, back in London, I got ill for a couple of days. And so I was sitting in my bed and I was looking for something that I could watch on my phone. And I came across a documentary all about Manchester City Football Club. Now, I like football, so I really enjoyed it. Um, but the real benefit wasn't the uh, enjoyment. No, it got me thinking about what we're here for. Quite deep for a football documentary. Um, well, it wasn't thinking about what's the purpose of life, but what's the purpose of church? What are we here for? And it's all because of uh, one comment that was made by uh, a female fan on that documentary who was asked what she liked about the club. And she said, it's our church. And I thought about that. Going to watch your football team uh, and going to church actually have lots in common, right? Which one am I describing? Uh, you go there about once a fortnight, um, usually at the weekend, but sometimes midweek. Most of the people are there to watch, but some are paid to work there full time. The building you meet in, it's like your family home and there's people of all ages. If you're a regular, you have your seat that you always sit in. And the people around you, they become your friends. While you're there, you stand up and belt out some of your favourite songs. It's a great couple of hours and you go home feeling really uplifted. Church and football, lots in common. But then I realised football's got something extra. Something I, I couldn't think of an equivalent for in church. Football has a goal not the goals on the pitch. I mean, every team, they have something that they're trying to achieve. Manchester City, they want to win the league. They want to win the Champions League. And that striving to win and succeed, it fills their stadium with a huge buzz and excitement. But what about church? Do you ever feel like sometimes it's sort of just the same old, same old, week in, week out. It doesn't always seem like we're actually working towards anything. And that's what got me thinking, what are we here for? We're not here to win the league, so what are we here for? What's our goal? Is there anything this church is, or any church is supposed to be achieving? And if so, how are we doing? Like I said a moment ago, this is the first sermon in a, a new series looking at the opening chapters of the book of Acts, a book that's going to help us see what we're here for. It'll help us develop some of that drive, some of that buzz as we discover our goal and think about working together like a team to achieve it. Uh, and to help you make the most of uh, this series of sermons, I want to throw out just a, a few uh, suggestions. The first is try to listen to every sermon. Um, obviously, not everyone is able to be here every week, so please do find a way of catching up if you miss it. Um, you can watch the service on YouTube. Uh, you can catch up by searching for the St. Bridget Sermons uh, podcast online, a bit like listening to the radio on Catch Up. The second little uh, suggestion is to read Acts for yourself. Uh, a good way to do this, I think, is um, you wake up on a Monday morning and reread the section that we looked at the day before. 
So you could wake up tomorrow, reread Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and try to remember one or two things from the sermon. Think about those things, let them sink in, and, and pray about them. Ask God to, to change you and transform you as you feed yourself on His Word. It's like your spiritual breakfast. And thirdly, third suggestion is talk about what you're learning. It's so important that we get beyond just talking about the weather or our families or our hobbies. Let's talk to one another about what we learn from Acts as we go through this series. Those are my three sort of tips or suggestions for making the most of what we're going to hear over the next eight weeks. Now let's get into Acts itself. Um, do follow along with me. Um, if you closed your Bibles, it's on page 1092, Acts chapter 1. And have a look down with me at verse 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The, the book of Acts is written for this person called Theophilus, which is a fairly common name back in the first century when it was written. Uh, and it means, Theophilus means lover of God. But this isn't the first book in the Bible written to him. The book of Acts is volume two. Did you notice that? Uh, the first thing the writer mentions is his former book, i.e. volume one. And that book is the Gospel according to Luke. If uh, you were to turn back to the start of Luke's Gospel, here's how it begins. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So the Gospel according to Luke, volume one, is this carefully investigated and researched sort of written documentary about Jesus. And after he wrote it, he then writes Acts, part two. And the subject of the book is the same. The subject is Jesus. Verse one again says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Luke's gospel is the account of what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts is what he did next. See, when Jesus was taken up to heaven, he wasn't leaving us to our own devices. What he began to do on earth up until his ascension, he continues to do from heaven now that he's on his throne. Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts are both accounts of Jesus at work. So I've been calling it the Book of Acts, that's the title it's given in our Bible, um, and that's usually meant as an abbreviation of the Acts of the Apostles. But really it's a book about the Acts of Jesus. The Acts of Jesus through his Apostles and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to focus on for the rest of this sermon. We're going to see how Jesus does his work on earth from his throne in heaven through his apostles 
and by his Holy Spirit. So let's begin with the apostles. The first thing Luke says about the apostles is that they are men whom Jesus has personally chosen. Have a look again at verses 1 and 2. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. This sets the apostles apart. Unlike, say, clergy or, or bishops or church ministers today, who get chosen through selection processes and appointed by the church, these men have been appointed and commissioned by Christ Jesus himself. They are his representatives. Second thing Luke says about the apostles is that Jesus showed himself to them. This is a particular qualification of apostles. Have a look down with me at verse 3. It says, After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So these apostles are his chosen eyewitnesses. They're not philosophers who dreamed up a new religion. They are men who have seen Jesus risen from the dead. They've touched him, heard him, eaten with him, listened to him. And the third thing Luke says about the apostles is also in verse 2. Before his ascension to heaven, Jesus gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't detail here what those were, but it might help us uh, to go back to the end of book one, Luke's Gospel, where he does give a bit more detail. So let me read to you Luke chapter 24 from verse 46, right near the end of the Gospel, right near the end of part one. Jesus told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What Jesus told his apostles was that they are now his witnesses. They saw him die, they saw him alive again, and now they must preach to the world that because Jesus died and rose, then anyone who repents of their sins will be forgiven. That's their instruction. Tell the world about Jesus so people know how to be saved. The work of Jesus did not stop when he ascended to heaven. Sometimes it can feel a little bit like out of sight, out of mind. You know, we don't really think about what Jesus is doing now. But when Jesus ascended to heaven, his work had only just begun. When he ascended into heaven, he had about 120 followers. Fewer than were at the service here yesterday. But his plan was in the end to have billions. And the foundations of that great kingdom-building project 
is the preaching of the apostles. It will be their authoritative message that turns hearts to Jesus in faith, rescues people from their sin, and brings them into his kingdom. Men and women, boys and girls all around the world need to hear from them about Jesus. And so verse 4 comes as a bit of a surprise. Have a look down there with me. Verse 4 says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, a little bit more evidence that he really was alive, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. How can they preach to the world if they don't even leave Jerusalem? He's chosen them. He's shown himself to them. He's instructed them to proclaim his name. And now he tells them, oh, don't leave. Why? Because the book of Acts isn't going to be about what the apostles achieve in their own strength and by their own power. It's going to be about what Jesus achieved through them by his power. In fact, they couldn't achieve anything by themselves. Everything that Jesus has chosen them to do would only be possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. They are to preach, but the Spirit is the power. That's why I've called this series of sermons no other name, and in text you can barely read, preaching in the power of the Spirit. Look with me again at verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We've thought about the apostles, who they are and what their role is. Let's move on now and think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. And he is Jesus' great gift to the church. Jesus died so that we could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But he's not well understood, and his work is not well understood. But let's be clear, without the Spirit, there would be no salvation. Without the Spirit, there would be no preaching, no believing, no rescue from sin, no eternal life, and no resurrection from the dead. The last time we saw the disciples in Jerusalem, they were hiding behind locked doors. Where will they get the bravery and boldness they need to stick their heads above the parapet and start telling the world about Jesus, beginning with the people who crucified him? Where will that bravery and boldness come from? From the Holy Spirit. And where will they get the courage and the endurance they need to keep going when the people who killed Jesus start to persecute them? They'll get it from the Holy Spirit. And where will the power come from? that takes their outlandish eyewitness account about Jesus' death and resurrection and uses it to turn the whole world upside down so that now millions of people around the world do believe in Jesus. That would take the power of God. 
And that is what Jesus is telling them to wait for, to wait for God himself, the Holy Spirit, to be poured out from heaven onto, into the apostles, to equip them to fulfill the task Jesus has given them. Nothing is possible without the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, Jesus' plan to build his kingdom through the preaching of the apostles cannot fail. And as we go through this series, we'll see the impact of the Holy Spirit over and over again. But for now, we have to leave the disciples waiting in Jerusalem, waiting for the great day of Pentecost when the Spirit finally came. What I want to do now is ask what this means for us. We began by asking, what's our goal? What is the church, any church, our church, supposed to be achieving? And we've seen something of the answer. The task of the church is to proclaim the good news about Jesus to the world. To join in with what Jesus is doing. And that work, it began with the apostles, but it didn't end with them. What they preached, they also penned. What they taught, they also wrote down. The Bibles we have in our hands contain their spirit-inspired teaching. Their message is alive today, and it's us that Jesus wants to work through to ensure that the people alive today, whoever they are, wherever they are, hear that message. We're not a football club. Our goal isn't to win trophies for our fans. We are Jesus' church. Our goal is to win souls for his kingdom. And to do that, we need the Holy Spirit to be at work. By ourselves, we can achieve nothing. Not even the apostles who were chosen by Jesus, taught by Jesus himself, instructed by Jesus, not even they could achieve anything without the Spirit. Jesus said they couldn't leave Jerusalem until they had received the Holy Spirit. And so we too must depend on the Spirit's power. On the one hand, we must be an active church, making every effort to go out there and tell people about Jesus. On the other hand, we must be a waiting church, a church that gathers in here to pray for the Spirit to be at work, for the Spirit to be changing lives, for the Spirit to take our words, our weak efforts, and use them powerfully. What a difference it would make if by the end of this series in Acts, we were no longer a group of people who all just go to church, but a community where everyone is praying, praying, praying for the inspiration and boldness and endurance and enthusiasm to tell people about Jesus. And then going, going, going out there, working together to make that happen as best we can. That's our purpose, that's our goal. It's ambitious, it's exciting, it's humanly impossible. And so as I draw this to a close now, what else can we do but come to God in prayer? So let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died and rose and ascended into heaven so that you could pour out upon your apostles and your church your Holy Spirit. 
may he empower us. May he be at work in us, equipping us, strengthening us, emboldening us, enabling us to take the good news we have about you, the message of the apostles, and to make it known as widely as we can. Without his power, we can do nothing. So we pray for the power of your spirit to strengthen us and enable us. Pray that this series in Acts would show us our goal and help us to be a church that waits and prays and goes and proclaims. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.